This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Last August, Education Next reported a sharp 13 percentage point decline in support for charter schools from the level they had reached the previous year. But just this past week, Education Next released results from a new poll that shows charter school support has rebounded upward back to virtually the same level charters enjoyed two years ago. To discuss the poll results and the current challenges facing the charter movement, I have with me today Nina Reese, President of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Nina, welcome to the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, it's great to have you here. Nina, what accounts for the rebound uh, in uh, charter school support? Well, I haven't had a chance to look at the results of the poll as carefully as you have, but I, uh, when, when the results came out this past fall, um, I felt strongly that we should wait a couple of years and see if it would hold steady. Uh, in polling, as you know, there's always a blip on the map, uh, times when things dip and there's no reason for well, that. Well, but in this Kinda case, like the stock market. well, really, we had been polling charters for 10 years at Education Next, and the level of support has been absolutely con constant over the whole 10-year period. And then all of a sudden, in 2017, a 13 percentage point drop, which is way beyond the margin of error. So I... It's, to treat it as, a, there must have been something producing the blip. Well, these are just my, uh, my guesstimates as to what may have happened. One of them potentially could have been the negative noise, certainly on social media around charter schools. We did an analysis uh, last year that showed for every positive impression on social media, there were three negative impressions uh, that were being pushed by our opposition around charter schools. Uh, the other reason could have been uh, the negative publicity at the at the national level around this issue. It has become more controversial in certain communities, and there are certain characters who are drawing more attention to this cause because of who they are. Um, so the fact that it's been in the news more in a negative light may have contributed to it. What was interesting about your poll, though, is that support for other forms of choice, like vouchers and education savings accounts, had not dipped. So that told me one thing, which is that parents and individuals out there are still interested in the concept of choice, but they may not be as interested in those choices uh, that attract too much negative attention and publicity. But fortunately, this new poll that you're releasing demonstrates that what may have happened this past fall could could have just been a, a blip on the map. It could have been a blip, so. but you know, the, actually, that the poll, the first poll that showed this decline, was it, it actually conducted in May and June of 2017. That's not too much beyond when there was all the controversy surrounding the confirmation of Betsy DeVos as U.S. Secretary of Education. Do you think there's anything there that that? That was a temporary blip, as you say, because there was so much attention given to that perhaps, confirmation. Perhaps, but again, as your own um, analysts have said, if that were the case, then support for education savings accounts should have also dipped because she talks more about those types of options uh, in the private sector than she talks about charter schools. Yeah, so, that, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the uh, Republicans were the ones that fell the most, and they're the ones that have recovered the most. And the African Americans were also way down, and now they've come back. So those are the two groups that shifted the most. I don't know what, what you make of that. Well, um, let, let's start with the easier one. I think uh, with Republicans, we sort of always assume they're going to be supportive when in reality most charter schools are not in their neighborhoods. So all things being equal, 
uh, it would be better for our movement to have more charter schools in those neighborhoods because the greatest thing you could do to boost public support is by having people who have seen a charter school, who have constituents who visit charter schools and whatnot. Um, I think in some instances, Republicans may also see charter schools um, as more of the same in the status quo. And as an advocacy organization, we need to do a much better job of making sure that they understand the value of charter schooling, not just in terms of raising student achievement, but also in making the education system more efficient. Just last week, Patrick Wolf uh, from the University of Arkansas released a study that demonstrated the return on investment uh, on charter schools. Basically, he found that charter schools were doing more with less money. Uh, and so even if the test scores are the same, less money is being spent and much, the students are per, uh, uh, learning just as much. They are. And uh, on average, as you know, we only get about 70 cents of every dollar that follows students to charter schools. In some places like Ohio, it dips to about 50%. So uh, very important to kind of put this in context. I think the best thing we can do as an advocacy organization is to talk about charter schools, the great things that charter schools are doing, the students who are serving, and those students eventually, hopefully, will become the advocates and the faces of the movement. Because ultimately, you want those who are benefiting from the enterprise to be the spokespeople uh, and those proselytizing others. Well, the news isn't all good. There is this uh, study uh, put out by Credo, the research organization at Stanford that uh, looked at charter schools in New Orleans and Tennessee that were uh, having the responsibility of turning around uh, uh, public schools that were low performing and uh, the results were not as favorable as one would have liked. Uh, what's your reaction to that study? Well, first of all, we applaud any charter management organization that decides to go in and take over a chronically failing school. These schools oftentimes have failed for 10, 15, 20 years, so taking them on and reforming them after, what, four or five years is no easy task. But we think if you really believe in the potential of chartering to revolutionize schools, that it's important for our leaders to also pay attention to this space and to have some models that work uh, for schools that are chronically failing. What's interesting about the report, though, is that those CMOs or charter management organizations that were homegrown did much better with failing schools or reforming these failing schools than those who came from across state lines. So there is a sliver of hope that if you're from the community and have been successful in serving kids in a certain neighborhood, that your odds of reforming these chronically failing schools are better. But let's not forget that what you're testing really in the context of restructuring is not so much chartering as a choice or value proposition. You're really just testing whether that model is going to thrive in a setting that's vastly different from the regular settings that a lot of these charter schools are used to serving. So um, the percentage of special ed students in these schools is often much higher percentage of students who are in single-family homes is much higher. So in those instances, I do think demographics are uh, somewhat different, and you have to take into account additional resources uh, and help that you need in order to really reform the school. This is Paul Peterson on the Education Exchange. I have Nina Reese with me today. She is the president of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Uh, Nina, there are signs that charters are not growing at quite the same rate as they have been in the past. Enrollment is still climbing, but the number of new schools that are opening is uh, slowing down. I'm wondering if, 
Is that still continuing according to your records? Because I know you have at your organization some of the best information on uh, the developments and uh, trends, trend lines and, and charter schools. And uh, if there is a slowdown, what, what do you see as some of the factors? Uh, we uh, have this estimated enrollment share, uh, and that comes out actually next week. Uh, so you'll be able to see the number of new seats that open or new schools that open and how many closed. There's definitely a slowdown in growth at the national level, but in some communities, growth is on the rise. So the state of Texas is a great example of a state where there are huge opportunities. If someone wants to open a charter school, the state is open for business. Right here in D.C., uh, the authorizer actively seeks uh, individuals who want to come and open charter schools. So there are a couple of factors that are leading to this. One of them is facilities access. To the extent slow, uh, growth is slowing in places um, like in San Francisco, the Bay Area, um, and in most places, it has a lot to do with lack of access to facilities. Uh, as you know, we don't have access to the same bonds and mechanisms to, to, to finance our buildings. And uh, so to the extent there is no private source of funding or, uh, or public source of funding to give you a building for free, it's going to be challenging to grow at a rapid clip. Without Are district them. schools willing to use, let you use the unused uh, buildings for charter schools? I wish. And as you know, this is the, the struggle that Eva Moskowitz has been dealing with in New York City. She fortunately has now uh, a law and a, and a legislature that's forcing the city to offer excess capacity and space. If that space is not available, the city has to pay for them to find space somewhere else. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of examples like Eva and the city of New York City to point to. Um, so a lack of access to facilities definitely slows down growth. The second, of course, is the politics. So if you know you can have the funding and resources, but if this community really doesn't want you, that has a dampening impact on, on growth. Uh, I would say um, equitable funding is also another factor. So to the extent like in Ohio, as I mentioned earlier, if only 50, 60 cents of the dollar is following students to charter schools, it is hard to run an effective school, especially with students who come from different challenges and whatnot. So uh, as a matter of policy, this is probably why our organization f focuses on uh, facilities finance and equitable funding the most, because at the end of the day, if those two factors are not on the table, it's very difficult to run an effective school and to compete. Uh, for students uh, who are coming from uh, from other systems. Well, so out west, I've, there's been a lot of growth in charter schools. And it's my guess that it's easier to set up charter schools, there's less opposition to charter schools, where you have a growing student population. Do you find that to be the case? That's just my sense of it. I don't know what, you, you know a lot more about this than I do. Well, it certainly makes intuitive sense if there's demand. And one of the things we did a couple years ago, we did a survey of parents across the country to see if, A, they knew what a charter school was. If they didn't, whether they would want to send their child to a charter school if one was made available to them. And we found that 5 million families wanted to send their children to a charter school. So if there is demand and um, not and, and not a lot of other options within the public or the private space, that's probably the medium in which... Uh, you can thrive and open a charter school in. But on the regulatory side, I also think we have to be very careful in not adding more burdens and rules and regulations on top of what's already you know, available for um, 
for our leaders. Cause well, wasn't that the purpose of charter schools in, in the first place, was they were to be freed up from the rules and regulations so that they could innovate and find new ideas and find ways of uh, creating opportunities for children unburdened by bureaucratic uh, forms. Absolutely, and we have to constantly go back to that and make sure that for every new idea, we're also taking a, an old idea or something that's not working off the table. Now, the private schools are losing enrollment. That's, that's one thing that is, it's not like it's dramatic, but it's there's a steady erosion in the percentage of students going to private schools. Are the charter schools cutting into the enrollment of the private sector? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think whenever you have an enterprise that's largely subsidized, wholly subsidized by government, it's going to be hard for the private sector to compete in that medium, correct? And in a lot of instances, if the quality of the traditional public school system is high, there's really no need for parents to select a private school unless that private school is doing something different or unique. So in some instances where charters have taken foothold and potentially uh, reduce the number of students in Catholic schools. It's been because the model that they're offering offers everything that a religious school could potentially offer minus the religion. And in that sense, you know, that the, you know, there has been some attrition in the private school sector. Uh, but I also think if I were a private school leader, I would also ask myself, why is it that a lot of these successful independent schools not scaling themselves? Whenever I visit one of these schools, they have huge wait lists. And I've often wondered why it is that in that sector, even though it's you know about 10% of the population right now, why is it that they're not able to grow uh, fast? And I think that's probably why I'm, I'm interested in the chartering space. I think there's more opportunity for innovation and scale and replicating what works in the chartering space than it is that than there exists right now in the private school. Um, well, system. it certainly has been the case over the last decade that the charter sector has been the growing sector and not the private sector. So you're probably... And that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always want to give choice and let people decide where, where they want to have their child go, probably. Uh, so um, what? just stepping back a bit, what, what do you think are the biggest challenges you see over the next decade for the charter movement? Um, I would say this question of growth is definitely on our mind. Uh, we want to make sure that this, the system is growing in those places where there is a demand for a high-quality public school. Um, and uh, so to the extent there are policy and regulatory barriers, we should be trying to remove them so that the, uh, the needs of the parents of the community are met. Um, the question of quality keeps coming up. There's been a lot of debate about whether you can measure a school's quality just by its test scores. I don't think we've reached consensus or a conclusion at the end of the day, but I think now that you're able to access test scores on, a, on an individual student, you know, by student basis, and you're able to follow a student's progress through growth data, it's going to be a little bit easier to see the value out of a charter school or any school on a child's education. So um, we need to become better at determining what constitutes quality and make sure that we have multiple indicators feeding into that definition. I think there's an increasing interest in looking at long-term outcomes such as college enrollment, college graduation rates, 
Um, what's the evidence for charter schools uh, uh, of the few studies that have been able to look at that? Well, they have all consistently said that all things being equal, charter schools do a better job at teaching low-income students, uh, minority students, and special needs students, um, and that the more students stay in charter schools, the better they do. That's one of the findings in, in the last Credo study. Uh, so most of the um, more sophisticated studies out there demonstrate that charter schools are effective at serving the needs of the students, certainly compared to the public schools in the neighborhood in which they reside. And then graduation rates and so forth have also gone up. There are some charter networks now that are also tracking their students after they go to college to make sure that they graduate college, which is an admirable task to take on. But as you and I both know, that the face of public education and schooling is changing every day. And so the thing that certainly I don't have a great answer to, but I wonder as the mother of a 13-year-old now is whether the things that we're teaching our students now are things that they're actually going to need once they enter the workforce, since the, 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 the future of tomorrow's workforce and what sorts of skills you need in order to thrive in it is changing every day. Well, you know, there's one last question I'd like to ask you. It's about the education reform movement more generally. At one time, it seemed to have a lot of energy, and um, I don't know what, if it was the fight over Common Core or whether it was something else out of there, the, the feeling that accountability wasn't yielding the dividends that it should, uh, but I feel there's not quite the same energy level today that we had, say, five years ago or 10 years ago. What, what's your feeling about that? Well, I would also say five to ten years ago, certainly uh, when Bill Clinton was in office and then when George Bush came into office, there was a lot of attention given to education at the national level. So you had between Bill Clinton, President Bush, and President Obama, three presidents who consistently talked about education as a national issue and tried to, for better or for worse, centralize some functions at the national level. All of that has shifted to states, and I think some of the feeling that you're feeling right now has to do with um, this decentralization of power and authority down to states. And uh, however, I, I do still feel that there's a lot of momentum around innovation and reform at the school level and within the chartering space. And um, you know, uh, there are some great new ideas that are constantly being beta tested over and over. And so I think as a uh, as a community, we need to constantly go back to why is it that we're doing this and um, and try to keep the momentum around the movement. Well, what would you what would you advocate as the one thing that could be done to re-energize the school reform movement? <laughs> oh gosh, I would say um, leadership is important. Having individuals who are interested in this topic and who are not just talking about the issue and potentially funding it, uh, that those, those are the types of things that end up waking people up. As you remember, when Ted Forsman and John Walton decided to put millions of dollars in private scholarships to send children to private schools, that got a lot of people involved and interested in the movement. Um, certainly at the presidential level, as I mentioned, when President Bush talked about No Child Left Behind, that certainly got the conversation started. So you need either someone on the philanthropic end or on the government end to seize this moment and to define it a little bit better so that others can follow. Because the work is being done, it's just not as coordinated and organized as it used to be. I would also argue that 
within the rural context, there is still so much work to be done, and no one is really thinking systemically about what to do in those communities to give those children a good education, whether it's online or whatnot. And I think that's sort of one of those areas that uh, deserves much more attention that we're giving it to as reformers. Well, we would all benefit if uh, the enthusiasm that you bring to this cause were replicated uh, many times over. Uh, I'm so grateful for all the work that you are doing for uh, the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. I've been speaking with uh, Nina Reese uh, on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Nina, for joining me on the thank Education you, Exchange. And thank you for your leadership. So I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Uh, we release a new podcast on Monday at noon on Education Next, and it's available on iTunes and many other uh, places on the Internet. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you.